0: Hey, it's Ryan Tucker, and welcome to the Unchangeable Truth Podcast. Today, you are listening to special guest, Pastor Johnny Hunt, here at Highland Park Baptist Church as he talks about wineskin and smoke out of Psalm 119.
1: If you have your Bibles, I really encourage you, even if you have to look it up on your phone, look on with someone, turn to Psalm 119 and find your place at verse 81. Psalm 119. Now, let me see if I can whet your appetite. Psalms 119 is the longest chapter in the Bible. There's 176 verses. They're placed in eight-verse couplets. Um, There's 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. Every chapter or every couplet begins with the next letter. He literally takes you A through Z Of the Hebrew alphabet. It would be like in the Greek, alpha to omega. It'd be like A to Z. What what in the world's troubling him so much? Because he is troubled. Uh, He needs a new beginning. And so he's crying out to God 22 different times, 22 different phrases, phrasing in a different way, asking God to help him, to revive him. I've entitled this message, A Wine Skin and Smoke. So, where'd that come from? From the Bible. And so, it'll help you to understand what that means. Uh, he refers to God coming to him in salvation. When you think of salvation, you always think of being saved from sin. But it can be saved from sin before salvation, it can be God saving you from sin in your sanctification. It also means, God, I need you to rescue me from my situation. Any, anybody in a situation that you need God to sovereignly intervene and do it his way instead of our way? Uh, then it could be from sorrow. You're going through a time of sorrow and God to meet that need. Now, many of you don't know this, but I've been a pastor for 46 years. I got saved 50 years ago this past January the 7th. Janet and I just flew in to Atlanta from Wilmington, North Carolina, my hometown, because I went there to do my aunt's funeral. Very godly lady. I mean, wonderful, huge attendance at the funeral because they'd been in that church so many years. Uh, I told Janet, I said, try, try, we're getting in late into Wilmington at night. We'd been traveling. And I said, so try to get us near the airport. So she booked us a hotel on the uh, waterfront on the Cape Fear River crossed from the um, USS North Carolina. And I said, okay, well, I, I need to put the address on my phone. Where are we going? She said, I've got us a hotel on Nut Street. And, uh, and I, that was a little humorous. I thought anything in particular came to mind when you were scheduling this for us. So I stayed at Nut Street. I opened the curtain and looked out and I saw Cape Fear Community College did a little research and found out that was Cape Fear Technical Institute. What's the big deal? Oh, it's a big deal. 20 years of age, high school dropout, teenage drunk, managing a pool room, raised by a single mom. Dad checked out when I was seven. Just a a typical small-town hoodlum. Somebody invited me to church, and Jesus Christ radically changed my life. Uh, The reason I quit school is I was afraid to give a public book report. God has a sense of humor. I got saved, I've been reporting ever since. It was at Cape Fear Techno Institute that I finished the GED as a high school dropout to be able to be a candidate for Gardner-Webb University and then later Southeastern Seminary. And so, I went to school, and so God called me. How many of you know that God's callings are irrevocable? Uh, some, sometimes you may think, well, you know, I, I made some bad choices in my life. And, and by the way, have you ever made a choice that you wish you could undo, but you can't undo it? What, what do you do with stuff you can't undo? You give it to Jesus, and he washes us and cleanses us in the blood as we repent. And we return to him. God God is omniscient. When God calls you to do something and you begin to think you're no longer qualified to do it. Hold on just a moment. You don't think he knew your past, your present, and your future when he called you? And so he already knew that. And yet he still placed his hand and his calling on you. See, the enemy would really like you to... Oh, by the way, let me just remind you. This is really deep. You might want to write it down anybody can quit yeah. <laughs> and by the way that's why so many do it so easy i mean it just hardly takes any energy whatsoever to just say i quit and but here's a man pressing in 170 longest chapter in the bible almost in the middle of your bible so if you would pick up with me in verse number 81 he says, my soul faints for your salvation, but I hope in your word. Um, you know, I, I don't remember. I bet when I first started my quiet time in devotion 50 years ago, it probably, I probably thought, what am I going to do in this five minutes? And, you know, now I'm at an age and the needs are so great in my soul that uh, I just can't get it done in an hour. I just, I'll be honest before God, I just can't. And, and I want to read deeper. I don't want to just be a surface I want to press in. So I was telling my I uh, bought a little book. It's 31-day devotional entitled Waiting on God by Andrew Murray, and I'm going to read it all the way through every month for the whole year. And, and, and then I do other readings, but I, I study the Bible. I take a chapter of the Bible. I read through books, and, and I have a commentary on this side in the Bible here, and I read the chapter, and then I go back and make sure I understand everything that I read. Why? Because I hope in your word. Amen. Oh, and by the way, hope changes everything. That's right. uh, did, did you know Did you know that you can live 40 days without food? I know what some of you are thinking now. I'll be glad it was over. I'm about to starve to death. No, not really. You're not. But <laughs> you, you're you're going to make it. 40 days you can go without food. You can go four days without water. You can live four minutes without oxygen. You can't live four seconds without hope. You don't believe me after the sermon, don't do it while I'm preaching. Google suicide and see how many people died in the last 24 hours. Somebody that couldn't find a second of hope. Your pastor is on his way, Lord willing, to Israel in just a few weeks. Uh, Pray Miss Jennifer will be able to go with him. Then about a month behind them, Lord willing, we'll be back for our 19th time. You always look forward to the last day because it's the last day they take you to Calvary and to the open tomb. When you walk into the garden, the first verse of Scripture is Romans chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. And here's what it talks about. The hope of the resurrection. The the reason any and everybody in this room has reason to have hope this morning is it's because Jesus conquered the grave. Jesus conquered hell. Jesus conquered sin. And, and he's available. So he said, I hope in your word. Listen to what he says, verse 82. My eyes fell from searching your word saying, listen to this question. It's a question of a person in a bad situation. When will you comfort me? And here it is. For I have become like wineskin and smoke. And I'll define that for you. Yet I do not forget your statues. How many are the days of your servant? In other words, how how much longer can I take this? When will you execute judgment on those who persecute me? And some of you will underline that and say, yeah, that's what I'm praying. Take care of those who say bad things about me. That's not what it means at all. That's not the emphasis. Verse 85, the proud have dug pits for me, which is not according to your law. In other words, they have violated the Bible. They're not using the Bible in the way they're dealing with you. All your commandments are faithful, They persecute me wrongly. It literally translates, they're lying about me. But then, did you know when you're in trouble, your prayers get short? Help me. Help me. Anybody just need to cry out and say, help me. Uh, When Peter was drowning, he didn't say, Father, in the name of Jesus. No, no, he said, save me. He said, they almost made an end of me on earth. Now, think about it. Here's the psalmist. And by the way, we're not sure who wrote this. We're pretty confident David did not. David wrote probably around 80 of the Psalms. But in the Psalm, someone is saying, there's somebody out there doing stuff that are trying to put an end to me on earth. I've got a good word for you. Nobody can put an end to you except for the one that gave you your beginning. There's somebody else writing your story and it's his history. So the Bible says, uh, they persecute me wrongly. Help me. Uh, they almost made an end to me on earth, and, but I didn't forsake your precepts. Here I am, back to the Bible. Matter of fact, you'll find at least seven different words that refer to the Word of God in these chapters. Precepts is the Bible. That's the Word of God. The law is the Word of God. He says, revive me according to your loving kindness so that I may keep the testimony of your mouth. Now, wait a minute. He starts by saying, I need to hear a word. So he's thinking about somebody speak a word to my ears, but now he says, I need to hear something from your mouth. There's times that we meet with God, and we may hear something, may learn something, maybe we don't, but there are other times God says something. Are y'all listening? God says something with his mouth. And and you literally go away and you say, this morning and by quiet time, God spoke to me. You you know it. He says that we know his voice and we follow him. We're the sheep of his pasture. A wine, skin, and smoke. When when I wrote this, I knew how difficult it was going to be for me to deliver it. So I want you to listen carefully to what I wrote by way of introduction. I always write out my introduction to try to draw you in, keep you interested, because I really believe that God has given me three things in particular to say that can help us. This psalm has been referred to as the orphan psalm of the Hebrew hymn book. Throughout the psalm, we're made aware that the singer is in trouble and, and he remains anonymous. So the Holy Spirit intends his suffering to be of universal significance. Any struggling saint of God can put his or her name at the head of this psalm and sing it to themselves. So, you know, sometimes people say, I oh, preacher had a good word today, but didn't really speak to where I am. I want you to listen to it just a moment. This is for all of us. You may say, well, I don't necessarily feel that I need it. Well, either you have needed it, you do need it, or you will need it. If you don't make notes, you're going to call in three years and say, my life's falling apart, I'm in a bad situation. Uh, Pastor Stephen, can you find that sermon Preacher Hunt preached three years ago? And the preacher's going to respond and say, what he preached? I can't even remember what I preached last Sunday. I mean, so, so you better listen now. God, God, God prepares us for a lot of stuff that we may have to deal with in our life. And so the focus is on the request of the believer to do two things, to re- receive comfort of his conf- affliction, but also responses of the believer while he waits on the Lord to judge his enemies and deliver him from persecution and danger. For instance, I, I not only want to wait on the Lord for God to comfort me, but I want to wait on God, wait, please please hear me, to have a proper response. Um, the Christian is never given the luxury of being unkind. Amen. Somebody says, did you see, did you see what so-and-so wrote about you on Twitter? Yeah. Man, what's your response going to be? I'm not spiritual, but I want you to know this, and I've got eight, over eight-month history on this. I've not responded to any of them. Well, that's not true. I've typed the response. <laughs> and I felt so good and then I deleted it. Some people wouldn't be in trouble if we didn't have a computer because you'd write a letter and take it out that afternoon and you got to the next day to take it back, tear it up. But instead now, write it and hit the button and you can destroy somebody's life for a while. For a while. And so he's just reminding us that the Christian life is not a playground, it's a battleground. So, so the, the psalmist is in greater need of having his own faith stabilized than he is in, in need of seeing judgment on his persecutors. Uh, you can lose your bearings. You can begin to feel that you were treated unjustly. You, you can begin to say, if God was really alive, why didn't God do something to help me? Does God not have the power? Does not have God not have compassion? And so what he's going to do is press into God, and he's going to have his faith stabilized to the point where he's going to be able to see that which is not visible. And then he can find rest for his soul. And so with that in mind, if you've got a pencil, pen, lipstick, or mascara, I want to give you three overarching statements about what it means to be a wine, skin, and smoke. Number one, in this text, I see a troubling soul but not without hope. A troubling soul, but not without hope. He, he, he talks about what's affected as a result of his situation. First of all, it affected his soul. He said, my, my soul faints for your salvation. It means my, my soul's been consumed. I've been overwhelmed. Uh, uh, this verse opens with the theme of suffering and longing for divine intervention. I, I want to... I'm trying to just not overthink this message. I'm trying not to, uh, to come in prepared to say this or that. There's parts I've just left to say, God, every you lead? I don't know why, but I am consumed with the thought I'm laying in bed in my home here in Panama City Beach. Um, some false allegations had broken, broke against me. Uh, they were some allegations that weren't false. But the ones that were false were the damaging the other would have been easier to survive. I'm in bed and I'm awakened by a cry. And my wife is weeping. And I wake up and I say, honey, I'm, I'm sorry, are you okay? And she said, they've ruined your life. Just with a, a letter, they've ruined your life. What are you trying to say? My soul was fainting. It was, um, I felt consumed. I was overwhelmed. I, I needed divine intervention. I found it even hard to pray. Uh, here's what it means. The hour is urgent. The, the crisis is clear. The, God, don't you see how great this is? It's a great need. But yet, look at me, look at me. But not without hope. Now explain that to me. How can you on one hand be totally consumed, but, but still have hope? Here's what it means. Hey, pray for my, uh, my mother. She's gone through a difficult time and she can't get out of bed. She's so depressed. That's a situation without hope. You're the only hope is to pray and press, press them through. What does it mean to have it with hope? You go to bed. You go to bed because it's some of the only peaceful time you know is when you're asleep. But you can't wait. Ugh. It's not the morning light. You can't wait to open your eyes 4.30 in the morning. Why? Because you want to go and put the coffee on and grab your Bible because you're not without hope. You know that God is going to come through. You know that God is aware. You know that God has not forsaken you. Charles Spurgeon put it this way. Never, never question in the dark what God has shown you in the light. You know why not, I was talking to Pastor the other day, and Pastor just threw this at me. and said, Hey, on Sunday, is there any song or music you want sung? And I said, I'm not meticulous and I don't want to put any extra pressure on Corey and the team, but could y'all do Through the Fire? Stephen texts back and said, Oh my God, I'd already asked him to sing that. See, I believe the Holy Ghost was up to something. Uh, I think he, wait a minute. You may think, I I just wanted to slip into this service. Oh, no. Sovereignly, God created an atmosphere, placed you in it providentially because he had a word from heaven. That's how, oh, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. That's why we call him a personal savior. That's That's how personal he is. He said, I hope in your word When God seems absence and darkness stalks, we still have the light of His promises. Eddie Carswell added words to Charles Spurgeon's and said this, When you can't trace His hand, trust His heart. Number two, his eyes were affected. My eyes fell from searching your word. In other words, it means he has strained his eyes. Every day he got up and he kept saying, I'm, I'm waiting for God to give me a word. Uh, I want something to jump off the pages of the Bible that I will just know that God spoke. Janet gets up some morning. I'm an early riser. She is a night, night owl. She's, I'm gone. She's up. And in fact, she never asked me to do anything after 7 o'clock at night as far as work or anything. ain't going to get done. So what she does, she makes me a list for the morning. So when I get up in the morning, I got all these things that need to go upstairs, stuff to go in the basement, and other little things to do. But I get up early in the morning, and I search his words. And sometimes your eyes, what he means is my eyes actually became fatigued from looking for the help that I'm requesting. He's searching the promises, and he's seeking for his presence. Wait a minute, somebody needs some help with this. You know, Pastor Johnny, good night. You've been a pastor 46 years. You've been a Christian 50 years. You've been married 52 years. Everybody in my family, other than my special needs granddaughter that goes to a special needs university or college out in Wisconsin, I've got a granddaughter, 18 years old, who just started at Sanford University. I've got a grandson that just graduated and just landed his first job from Kennesaw University the other day. And then listen to this. Outside of that, and there's 12 of us, I just talked about three. The other nine are all out this morning. They couldn't be here. Every one of them are serving Jesus. They're out preaching the gospel, they're leading the largest music ministry in the world of Christian music called Winter Jam. We say, "Why, Why are you saying all that? The spiritual people go through difficult times in their life. One of my favorite characters in the Bible is John the Baptist. Wonder why. John? John. Baptist? Baptist? Uh, let me tell you what Jesus said about John. And don't miss this. Don't miss this. Jesus did not say it about him until after he was already with, with him. Jesus did not say this about John until John had his head chopped off. He said this. Never was there a man born of woman greater than John the Baptist. I always thought when I read that, hey, hey Jesus, he might have could used that when he was in prison. John's in prison. Why, why is he in prison? For preaching the word. He told Philip, he said, you've, or told Herod, he said, you've married your brother Philip's wife. That's adultery. You need to give him his wife back. You need to get right with God. He threw him in jail. Um, if I were John, I wouldn't worry about being in jail. Why? Do you know who his cousin is? Jesus. Don't, don't you believe that if you were thrown into prison for preaching the word and Jesus is still there present, you're probably thinking, well, this is day one. He'll be here before you know it. But days turn into weeks. So are you all listening? Days turn into weeks, and no, nobody's come to my rescue. Weeks turn into months, and I'm still out here sucking wind. Finally, John is in a bad place. Two disciples of Jesus Christ dropped by to see him in prison. And listen, he says, hey, y'all getting ready to go see Jesus? He said, could you ask him a question? Would you ask him this for me? Are you the one or should we look for another? I'm telling you, the man that Jesus said is the greatest man ever born of woman was doubting whether he was God. What are you trying to say? I'm telling you. I don't care how spiritual you are, how godly you are, how much you pray, you can suffer a deep thing in your life. And, but what the enemy would say is, see, see, look at look. And here's what people say every night now. I'll tell you the reason I didn't come back. In 2008, man, I lost my house and everything. down. I've been a tither and everything. I mean, God didn't come through for me. You don't know that. You don't know what God's up to until you, oh, wait a minute, until you press into those difficult situations and see what God may bring out of them. You may be far better. Oh, this, this is just a recommendation. I don't know if you ever heard of him or not. Read the book of Job. It ain't over until he has the final word. Um, Paul put it this way. I've been struck down but I've not been destroyed. Here's what it means. Ben, you'll like this. I like boxing. Here's what it means. I got knocked down last night, but but not knocked out. I'm back up. One of the leading pastors in America called me this week, and he said, I ruined Christmas at my house. He said, I'm just telling you, ruined it. He said, we're in a bad place. I, I need to meet with you sooner than later. And I just said to him, I said, well, you've uh, made great stride today. He said, how do you get that? And I said, you're landing on your feet. When you can acknowledge you've done something wrong, and you're not satisfied to wallow in the wrongness, and you want to get up. Proverbs says a good man will fall seven times and get back up. And so we'll be, we'll be knocked down. Paul was knocked down. But then he went on quickly. Life is useless. In other words, I've become like a wineskin skin and smoke. Janet and I uh, have been to to Kenya many times. We worked with the Maasai warriors for years, built Bible training centers there, built churches there, uh, trained pastors. I'm God willing, in about two months, I'm headed back over to Uganda to train pastors outside of Entebbe. Bottom, bottom line, listen to this. The most prized possession of a Maasai is their cows, and next to that is their cow dung. They build their houses out of cow dung. When Janet and I go, you know, we, we guys, we just wear rough jeans or something, but they, they wrap stuff around their clothes because when we go in and sit down, they like for you to come into what's called a Boma, it's a community to live, and then they like to invite you into their hut. And when you go into their hut, it's real dark and smoky, and you can't see anything. When you go in, it's like, hello, how are, how are you, wherever you are, and uh, it, but let me tell you, did you know that if you're standing there long enough, your eyes adjust? Wait a minute, wait a minute, I've got a word. Did you know it's easy to get used to the dark? If you're not careful, you can just slip into a place where you're used to being in the dark. There's a line, every one of them. they got like a little clothesline inside that little old hut. What Jan and I saw there, They've taken animal skins and made containers for milk and for water. And uh, they, they, the charcoal tree grows in the wild there. So you just chop the tree down, throw it in there, and it's charcoal. The heat from that charcoal comes up, and that wire, and they've got that wine skin. And after a while, it cracks it, and it uh, becomes brittle. And here's what it means. And here's the Hebrew translation of wine, skin, and smoke. You feel useless. But wait a minute. You no longer serve your purpose. Wait a minute. It means something else. It means something else. You lost your influence. Uh, I'm going to be honest. I've been on the shelf. Uh, I like what somebody said. God never casts you out. He may, he may put you on the sideline for a while, but he never just sets you on the shelf to leave you there. It's what my friend Mike Brunson told me recently. And so you feel like wine, skin, and smoke. Some of you here are glad to be here, but you feel like you have nothing to offer. The enemy's done a number on you. You're, you're wine, skin, and smoke. And that's how the psalmist felt. I've lost my influence. Oh, no, no, you, you're not lost anything. Uh, that's all up to what Jesus desires to do with you. And then he said the enemy's attacking, in verse 85, they have dug pits for me. And it was like a hunter, they've dug pits for him to catch him like prey. They're out hunting for him. And then he says, verse 87, time's running out. They almost made an end of me on earth. In other words, the the sand in the hourglass reads almost exhausted. Now, let me give you the second thought, and I'll do it real quick and then dive to the third one and finish on time, whatever on time is. Number two, there's a questioning spirit, but not without answers. I've had questions before. You haven't? You've never asked God a question? He can handle your questions. But but he has answers. And so let me give you the three questions as quickly as I can. Number one question is in verse 82. When will you comfort me? That's a natural response for those who are suffering. Question is, um, how much longer do I have to suffer like this? How much longer will these things be said about me? Will I ever move on from there? And then, by the way, let me tell you where you have to deal with this. Let's just be real dead-level honest. Uh, I'm at the age where uh, I can easily retire. Retirement's not in the Bible, but I could retire. I I don't have to preach for a living. Uh, I I don't know any other way to say it. I'd be lying if I made it sound like I had all these great needs. God's met all of my needs. I mean, He really has. I'm fixed. If I never work another day, the rest of my life, if I don't live too long, uh, I'm able to just make it on what I've set aside. I've been a great steward. Janet and I, God knows it. I just say it. I can't believe I'm going to say it, but I'm going to say it. I'm feeling at home here. But the bottom line is, we've given away most of what we've made through the years. But when are you going to comfort me? And, and why you're going through that comfort is another question. Why don't you just quit? That's, that whispers, that comes every now and then. Why don't you just quit? We haven't determined yet. Look at me. have it determined. Millions quit during COVID. I can just stay home, get my coffee cup, flip on the online, watch it. It's only one thing wrong. You're in violation of the Word of God. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23 to 25 says you ought to get yourself together, and you ought to excite one another to love and to good works. That's what happened a moment ago when the team was up singing. The hands were up everywhere. You know why? He never promised that the cross would not get heavy and the hill would not be hard to climb. And some of you are on a tough hill today. I've had a cross lately and a hill lately. And I've tried to stay faithful to God instead of answering all the naysayers. Question number two. How many are the days of your servant? In other words, here's the question you ask. My wife's struggling, and I struggle a lot of days. Here's the question. How much longer can we take this? I mean, is this ever going to end? Uh, my days are slipping away. I'm not getting any younger. Oh, by the way, somebody made me this encouragement. Did you know the optimum age study? You could Google that or see me and I'll give it to you. Did you know that your 60s are your most productive years for service for Jesus Christ as a leader? For anything you do, companies you run or whatever, 60s. Number two, greatest years, 70s. Number three, 50s. So you got to be 50 before you even know what life's all about. Question number three, when will you execute judgment on those who persecute me? Oh, that's what we want to hear. God, go get those who are talking about me. No, that's not what he's talking about. The psalmist does not take matters into his own hands. He presents his case to God and he expects God to do the intervention because vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I will repay. God will let you be the one to execute vengeance, but you will flat get your rear end, that's a Greek word, in trouble you'll get in trouble. But instead, I'm just saying God is the one. The Bible says, Proverbs 27, 21b, a man is valued by what others say of him. Proverbs 27, verse 2, let another speak well of you, not your own lips, even a stranger. A principle that I wrote, I've, I've never felt dirtier than when I tried to defend myself. All right, now let me give you the last part, and I'm going to do it timely. Here we go. Trusting servant, but not without truth. So I'm trusting. Somebody said, well, he's fool trust. I'll tell you what, I'd have given him up a long time ago. No, I'm trusting, but I'm doing it on truth. Did you read John 8, 36? Did you know that Jesus said, and the truth shall make you free? The truth can set you free. So I, I'm just holding on for the truth. I, I know the truth. God knows the truth. So I want to hold on to that. So he says, I'm going to keep hoping. I'm going to hope in your word. So the object of an anticipated future is the word of God. Johnny Hunt, if you've gone through eight difficult months, what would you say is the number one, please hear me, what's the number one sustaining factor in your life that you're here today, you seem to be healthy, you seem to have some joy, you're in love with your wife, you're bragging on what Jesus is doing with your children, you love your church, you love your pastor and his wife, you love to give, you love to serve. What has been that which most has sustained you? Thank you for asking. The Word of God, theology, a study of God, knowing God, knowing His character from what He says about Himself in His Word. That has sustained me. So when I see ugly statements sometimes, I think, here's what I'm able to say. That does not even resemble the God that I serve. Could you... This is good, this is good. Could you imagine Jesus saying, I heard your confession, and I forgive you, but I don't want to have anything else to do with you. Oh, my stars, are you kidding me? That is foreign to the God of the Bible. He said, I'm going to keep searching. I'm searching your word. Number Verse 83 says, I'm not going to forget. I, I, I do not forget your statues. I, I delight myself in your statues. I will not forget your word. I'm going to keep being faithful. He commends the faithfulness of God by commending the faithfulness of his word. Janet and I go to church every morning. Uh, every Sunday morning. The other day, I told her, I said, we were in church visiting. We were in the Atlanta era for a few days. And I said to her, I said, every single one of us, all 12 of us are in church today. I mean, so we've not like kind of given it up, thrown it in. Hey God, look all this stuff I've done for you. No, no, I haven't done anything for him. Everything I've done for him, he's empowered me to be able to do anything to his glory, if it rebound to his glory at all. So he commends the faithfulness of God by committing the faithfulness of His word. And by the way, The reason I'm being sustained is not because, oh, this is good. Not because of my faithfulness to God, but God's faithfulness to me. Ladies and gentlemen, what really makes a difference in your life is, oh, this is good. I am so glad I came so I could hear this. Listen to this. (laughs) It is not the promises you make to God that makes the biggest difference. It's the promises that God makes to you. Somebody says, I got up this morning and I promised God this. Well, that's fine. But I'll tell you what I found out. I have been involved in some of the largest local church men's conferences in the United States at First Baptist Church Woodstock. Here's what I found out. Not trying to be ugly. We are not promise keepers. There's not a person in here that hasn't at some time in their life broke a promise. Oh, I feel like turning a flip. Here's the bottom line. There's only one promise keeper. And his name's the Lord Jesus Christ. And if he makes you a promise, you can stand on that promise. And then he simply says, in verse number 86, help me. They persecute me wrongly, which is not according to your law. This is a good statement. Just listen to it. God's law does not employ evil means to obtain its end. God doesn't allow me to hurt you in Jesus' name. That's when somebody says something like this. If I were God... Number one, you're not. And number two, praise God you're not. <laughs> um, next, he, I never did forsake. I do not forsake your precepts. And then let me close with this. Revive me. It's what he says in verse 88. Revive me. And uh, then I'll be able to hear the, I want to hear the testimony of your mouth. Revive me. Let me do a little lesson. It's, it's out of the, what I've understood about the language of the Bible. There's what we call middle verbs in the Bible, where the Bible may say, uh, put off anger. Somebody's praying, and say, oh, I ask God to take my anger away. Now, he, he doesn't take it away. He allows you to give it to Him. There are times, stay with me, middle tense verbs mean that God expects you to act. For instance, um, Simon Peter is in prison. Remember Acts chapter 12? And remember, they sent an angel in. And remember, he opened iron doors. Why did that angel open iron doors? Peter couldn't. But then what did the angel say? Put on your sandals. Why didn't he put them on? Middle tense. You put them on. Past tense. Past tense is where you're acted upon by another. Revive me. You, you can't revive yourself. Some of you... Just like I've had to need over and over again, need God to touch you and revive you. Why? Because you can't revive yourself. Could you imagine uh, seeing me before the service and saying, Hey, I wanted to speak to you before you're preaching. What are you doing back here? I'm back here filling myself with the Holy Spirit. (laughs) No, no. Be filled with the Spirit. Past tense. God must fill me. So so what I've got to do is make myself available. Oh, and by the way, oh, this is good. You can't get full of something when you're already full of something. So if, you are, if you're full of a bunch of junk, God, there's no room for God to come and fill you. So confession, here's what I pray. God, may the searchlight of God's Holy Spirit go into the deepest crevices and the dark areas of my soul. Show me anything that you're not pleased with. And I confess it to God. And as I get clean, and I've got to be honest, here's something I pray. I've never heard anybody else pray, but I pray it and I'm going to confess it. I say, God, please, I beg you, fill all of me you can so some of me can't get full because I'm already full of something else. I'm I'm finishing. Finishing. I'm finishing. This is the language of the psalmist, one of them. My wife loves sheep. We used to have sheep, little sheep books about sheep all over our house, and so I got intrigued, and I started reading all of those And by the way, we're the sheep of his pasture, right? If if I say something right, would somebody just say amen? We're the sheep of his pasture. Why do He say sheep instead of lions? Have you ever gone to a circus and noticed the lions, elephants, tigers? Have you ever noticed the sheep do anything? If you study sheep, let me tell you what you'll find out about. I'm not trying to be ugly. Just, Just put it on me, not on you. Sheep are dumb. question why why Question, question this is why you're here why would the lord jesus say that the shepherd left 99 sheep to go after one i mean that don't sound right does it left 99 to go after one because sheep lose their way to have no sense of direction why they're dumb And what they do, they wander off. And most of them are in the Middle East, and it's very hot. And they'll get out there and perish. Or the coyotes or wolves will come after them. But let me tell you the language, and it comes from a Psalm chapter 50. It's called cast, C-A-S-T, sheep, cast sheep. What is cast sheep? Did you know that 90% of the body weight of a sheep is water? So what happens? That sheep wanders away, right? He leaves the fold. Have you? Ever, I've done that before. Have you ever done that? Left the fold, left the shepherd, and kind of wandered out there. I've wandered far away from God. Now I'm coming home. You ever wandered? I've wandered before. My mind's wandered to places before. I had no business going. And I get so I get out there. So here, let me just show it to you. Maybe the cameras will catch up. Here it is. They get out there and they they lay down. And when they lay down, 90% of their body weight's water, that water all flows to that side. Now, my wife's hoping I wouldn't do this. I can't believe I'm going to do this. I must really love y'all. What does it mean to be cash sheep? After laying there, you finally, it, you, the water, it just rolls you up. All you can do is... Look at me. This is truth. This is biblical truth. Cast sheep can't get up on its own. It's cast. A backslider, a backslider, a backslider can't get back. He's cast. What has to happen? That's why the shepherd's out. Shepherd finds him. When he finds him, and by the way, he knows him by name, and I'm not going to name this one. I named the last one, and I got hit in the nose after the service. All right, so, So he finds him, so here's what he does. Straddles over him and settle, gets him up on his feet. Gets him between his legs. And lets that water find balance in his body again. Now, if the sheep has done this over and over again, guess what the shepherd does? Breaks its leg. Someone that, that ain't very Christianly. Oh, well, have you not read uh, Hebrews chapter 12? Whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. He, he, here's what he's saying to that sheep. Listen, uh, sheepy, you could have uh, died out there. What, are y'all listening? You could have perished far away from me. But, but I want to teach you a lesson. And when he breaks his leg, let me tell you what they do. And I, First of all, he picks them up and puts them on his shoulders after he breaks his leg. But as he starts limping again, here's what we found that sheep do they stay close to the shepherd. And, then, and after a while, they begin to think, I tell you, it don't pay to leave. <laughs> What's the main point I want you to take away? There's some of you in here. You've had a need in your life for years, and you just think nothing's ever worked. You know why? You keep trying to do it on your own when you're cast. The only thing you can do is cast yourself on Jesus. And that's what people did in the early service. This is a message, really, you heard this is a message more about helping struggling Christians get on their feet again. But the bottom line is, God spoke and saved lost people. And then many, the altars were full of tears this morning because God brought something real. And, and it's not been easy for me to preach this message. And if you can only imagine, since I haven't preached in eight months, as long as that I've gone without preaching in 46 years. I, I, I felt like I was going to the tomb this morning. I was excited that he arose But I was nervous at the same time. And so the question is, do you need Jesus to revive you? Because you can't revive yourself. Do you need him to fill you with the Spirit of God? Do you need him to change something in your life that only he can change? And he can do that. Father, in the name of Jesus, how we desperately need you. God, some, some of us, and I've been there. I've been wine, skin, and smoke. I know what it is to cry yourself to sleep. I know what it is to wake up and lay there in the morning wiping tears. I know what it is to wake up in the middle of the night and not be able to go back to sleep. Heart's so troubled. Feel like sometimes not only are you grieved over the wrong you've done, but you're grieved over the wrong that's been done to you beyond the wrong you've done. And all we know to do is cry out to God. So I ask you in Jesus' name,
0: work in our hearts. Work in our hearts. Hey guys, this is Pastor Stephen Kyle, and I want to thank you for listening to this week's issue of the podcast called Unchangeable Truth. Let me encourage you as well, if you get a chance, go check out our website. It's Highland, H I L A N D, Park, P A R K, dot org. On that website, you'll learn more about our ministry at Highland Park Baptist Church. You can also listen to some previous sermons, which are archived for the previous year. And as well, if you ever find yourself in Panama City in person, come and check us out. Worship with us live at 2611 Highway 231 North. And We would also love to talk to you about Jesus Christ. If you've got any questions regarding your relationship with Him, having faith in Him, or if this podcast has encouraged you, or you have other questions regarding the podcast, feel free, shoot us an email at podcast at highlandpark.org. As always, our prayer is that this podcast would point you to Jesus Christ, would increase your faith, and would help you as you mature daily in your walk with Jesus Christ. God bless.